Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Scott Rush is the team lead for the Habits series published by GIA and currently serves as the conductor of the Charleston Wind Symphony. He is a graduate of the New England Conservatory of Music and is the former director of bands at Wando High School in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Under his direction, the Wando Symphonic Band performed at the 2007 Midwest Band and Orchestra Clinic and were BOA Grand National finalists. Mr. Rush is active as a conductor, clinician, and adjudicator throughout the United States and Canada. He is the author and co-author of 15 highly touted books, some of which include Habits of a Successful Band Director, Habits of a Successful Musician, Habits of a Successful Beginner Band Musician, and Pathways to Success for GIA Publications. In 2010, Mr. Rush was elected to the prestigious American Bandmasters Association. He currently serves as president of the Servant Leadership Association for Music. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome Scott Rush to the podcast this week. Well, everybody, happy new year and happy 2023. Uh, we've got uh, 12 more episodes of, of this series uh, to go for the year, and I am absolutely thrilled to get this year started off right um, with my good friend, well-known um, author, music educator, uh, Scott Rush. So, Scott, thank you so much for kicking us off. I appreciate you being here. Jim, thank you so much for the kind invitation. I'm honored. So, Scott, I think, you know, a lot of people, a lot of music educators that I've talked to over the years, you know, they they find a method book that they like and they kind of stick to it. Um, and, you know, it becomes really their curriculum for teaching band, for teaching orchestra, for teaching choir, for teaching anything. Um, but before we get into what your, your contribution uh, to that world is, I would love for everyone to get like a five, 10 minute picture of your career arc, like where, how you started in music, how you started in music education, your teaching career and how you ended up uh, as an author working at, at GIA Music. So if you can give us that kind of thumbnail sketch, that'd be great. Absolutely. When I was a junior in high school, all I really wanted to do was be a band director. And it was interesting. I, I scheduled a meeting with two of my mentors and I told them, I said, I really want to be a band director. And it was interesting. Their response was, um, they didn't think I should do that because you had to deal with young people. You had to deal with kids. <laughs> and I thought that was really interesting. And I remember walking away. Now I will say this, they said some really nice things about my, my horn playing and my performance and things like that. But I remember walking away from that meeting um, somewhat disappointed. And so I pursued the performance route and I went to the University of South Carolina. And I also went to the New England Conservatory of Music. Oh, and during that time, I, um, conducting was really important to me. So I had an opportunity to study with 
several people who were just um, really instrumental in influencing me. And when I was at New England Conservatory, Frank Battisti was a mentor of mine. Oh, wow. And we are still uh, dear friends. And um, also Carl St. Clair and Pascal Varro were people that I studied some conducting with. And so during that whole time, um, I kind of had in the back of my mind because I, I taught camps in the summer and worked with band programs. And then I moved to Atlanta. And when I started working with a couple of band programs in Atlanta, I had a conversation with Gary Gribble, who was the band director at Pope High School at the time. And I said, you know, all I ever wanted to do was be a band director. And he said, well, why don't you just do that? And I said, well, no, I don't know if I could do that or not. And he said, no, you can do it. He said, he gave me some, um, he said, send your transcripts here and they can tell you what you need to do. And uh, it turned out that um, I didn't, I had a lot of coursework under my belt already. And so I became a band director. I took a pay cut to become a band director, about a $12,000 a year pay cut to become a band director. But uh, it's the best decision I ever made. That's great. Um, when, I, when I walked into the classroom now, every, you know, everybody has that challenging first year and I had some challenges, but when I walked into the band room, I knew that's where I belonged and what I wanted to do. And I love seeing the light bulbs go on for young people. Yep. Um, that just absolutely just watching that journey and watching, you know, their eyes light up was just, just something that I loved. And so I spent um, 22 years as a band director. Uh, my first stint was for seven years. And then my second stint was for 15 years at Wando High School in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. And those were just fantastic years. Uh, Wando in 2007 played at the Midwest Clinic. Oh, wow. Uh, and then um, in 2009 and 2011, Wando went to Grand Nationals for marching band and made they were finalists, named finalists. And it was just wonderful. I, I, I loved every second of that. And then, you know, since then, I've had the wonderful opportunity to conduct honor bands. I conduct an adult ensemble. Oh, wow with a friend of mine uh, we um, so we're co-conductors at the Charleston Wind Symphony and one of the really cool things about that is that some of my former students from Wando are in that ensemble oh wow that's great and I yeah I love I love you know working with the adult uh, group as well and then in 2005 I began writing for GIA publications I can tell you that story a little bit later but um, I began writing for GIA publications and then in 2020 uh, I began working full time at GIA because our series got so large. Right. Well, that's first of all. I just wanted to say, I well, you talked about your guidance counselor and their advice. I had the exact polar opposite. I went to my guidance counselor my junior year of high school and said that I wanted to be a computer programmer, and he said that is a fad. You will not make a living. We think you should be a music teacher. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, it's one of those things where I mean, one of one of the great uh, joys of my life is I've been able to take those two interests and put them together. But it is it is amazing and in how incredibly influential uh, advice like that can be. Um, but yeah, I think the the music education world is is a much better place for for you having made that decision, Scott. Um, the uh, it's funny because the first Midwest I ever went to was in two thousand seven. I did a a session on copyright. I have a, I had an absolute packed house and I had never been to Midwest until 2007. And I remember walking in, that was when back when it was in the, the old Hilton. 
I just right. remember walking in and my eyes just like, what is this? <laughs> it's just <laughs> an absolute. So to have the honor of your band play there, uh, for those of you who may not be band directors listening to this podcast, uh, to me, um, being invited to perform at Midwest is the ultimate honor that that a uh, middle school, high school band director could ever achieve in their career, in my humble opinion. And I think many would agree with me. So that's fabulous. So you get the job at you, you like myself, you, you take the leap of faith and join the corporate world. So what, what is your role? I mean, obviously you're, you're the author of the habit series. Why don't, first of all, why don't you go over just, I mean, I saw an ad the other day from the college music society about like a textbook as I mean, you're, you're, a you're a beast. You write tons of books. I mean, so like, why don't you go over first? What are, what are the habit series? What, what's available? Well, there are 15 books in the series, wow. and there are it's basically divided up into two areas, what we call how-to books and then method books. Hmm. And then that expanded into, you know, band, choir, and orchestra. And um, it, it just, um, you know, it's kind of taken on a life of its own. My, my role at GIA is essentially senior editor, but team lead for the Habit series. Mm-hmm. And so the as the series got larger, um, it became like it just needed to be managed. And then the, the other part of that is we continue to create content because if you feel like if you're helping people and you feel like you're helping people, that starts getting into you know mission and vision and purpose. Mm-hmm. And when you feel like you're helping folks, um, it's really what kind of fuels um, the passion for what we do. And I also, uh, as being senior editor, also um, help with reading and promoting, you know, other projects within the music education division at mm. GIA. And GIA at music has so many um, different, incredibly different uh, and very successful. I mean, you're huge in, into the liturgical music market, but also all the all the different fire robin stuff that's out there. I mean, just an incredible, incredible publishing company. Uh, one of the very first books I ever read on music technology was by my dear friend, Tom Rudolph, and it was published by GIA. So you guys are really uh, a fabulous uh, imprint. I would I would love to know, um, and I know a lot of the inside, because when when you and, and Reed Wilder were in the middle of field testing, authoring and all that stuff, I was getting a lot of the inside information. I felt very privileged to get it. And I'm amazed by the amount of research, effort, work, field testing that went into it. I did, I did like, how did you start writing habits or the very first one? And and was it something that, that uh, somebody at GIA asked you to do? Was it your idea? Like, how did that, how did the whole habit series come about? Well, this is a really good question. And the short answer is um, Tim Lotzenheiser. Oh, there you go. He, yeah. <laughs> so this, let me tell you how this happened. So um, early in my tenure at Wando High School, Tim would come every year and do a student leadership workshop at our school. Awesome. And so I picked him up at the airport this one particular time. And at the time, he was observing student teachers, I think at Duquesne and Vandercook, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. On that. And I had a student teacher. And so when I picked him up, he had done some sessions that day with the student teachers. And we were just talking back and forth. And he asked me some questions about the student teacher that I, uh, you know, was hosting at the time. And we were comparing notes of things that we saw 
And, you know, I made some suggestions of some things that I was going to, um, you know, work with my student teacher on, you know, the person who was working with me at the time. And during that conversation, Tim said, you should write a book. Yeah. And I thought to myself, well, Tim tries to make everybody feel good. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He's, and he's the master of that. <laughs> he is. He really is the master of that. And so I didn't really think anything about it. And so about six months later, Tim says, um, how are you coming on that manuscript? And I was thinking like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, yeah. in my mind, but I, you know, kind of remembered, I said, are you serious? And he said, yeah. He said, matter of fact, if you'll write a book, he said, I'll make sure that it's published. And at the time he was working with a company called Focus on Excellence, mm, yep. uh, people who did the breathing gym and yep. some other things, um, fairly small company, but he said, I'll make sure it gets published. And I kind of said, well, as long as you write the forward to the book and he goes deal. And oh, awesome. <laughs> so we, I started and the very first book was called um, Habits of Successful Band Director. Um, and matter of fact, the, the first title was actually called Podium Pitfalls and Parachutes. There you but go. We, we, did, we, didn't, I, we didn't really go with that title. And so we went with Habits of a Successful Band Director and it was about pitfalls and solutions. And yep. right off the bat, we sold about a thousand copies really quickly. And Tim called and he said that he felt like because of the success of the book, he pitched the idea of going to GIA and asked GIA if they'd be willing to pick up, you know, the book. He said they were a bigger, you know, publisher and they had better, you know, marketing and things like that. And he asked if I would be willing to entertain that. And I was thrilled that he asked that. And I said, absolutely. And about 10 minutes later, I get a phone call from Alec Harris from GIA. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And so he said, um, I talked to Tim. And so we, you know, republished the book uh, with different cover and everything through GIA. And through the success of that book, just subsequent projects, you know, happened after yep. that. And it's been a great relationship. Um, you know, with GIA and continues to be. Oh, that's fantastic. I bought that book. Uh, that was like early, what, 2004, five, something yep. like that. That's right. That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. I bought that book at a conference um, because I think every band director is, it was looking for the type of advice. I, to be honest, you put Tim's name on a book, everybody goes, oh, you know, he's got that much sway, in my opinion. Uh, I absolutely adore that man. I think he's he's wonderful. But I saw his name on it and I was like, all right, well, if he put like his stamp on it, I'm going to read. And I bought it and I thought it was amazing. Um, and I remember uh, a lot of people uh, in my I had I'd already finished my doctoral work, but a lot of people in my the graduate classes that I was teaching had that book in their bag and I was like oh I, yeah so it, um and then how did it go from there to a method book well it was kind of interesting because um the first method book which is called habits of a successful musician hmm. was exactly what we were doing at Wando high school at the time right um all band writers have had that time at the beginning of the school year over a number of years where you put um, folders together and things together that had warm-up material and things that you do during fundamentals time and corrals and rhythm studies and all those things. And we actually, over time, put together a book that we, um, it was spiral bound that we used in our classrooms and it was mainly fundamentals time and sight reading. 
you know, right. what the exercises we were doing. And so that first method book, Habits of Successful Musician, um, literally was the condensed version of what we were doing at Wando at the time. Oh, cool. And so, you know, that caught on. And um, then it really just kind of, you know, it's interesting with the method books, we actually wrote them in reverse. So we always knew what we were prepping for. And um, so, yeah, it literally just, we had, we did a how-to book, Habits of Successful Band Director, and then we did a method book, Habits of Successful Musician. And then everything just kind of um, evolved from there. Yeah, I had that uh, successful musician book um, when I was still teaching. And uh, I absolutely loved it because I think a lot of band directors piece together various resources. They're looking for it. And, and really, that that um, that book had it all. Uh, and, and it was the main reason I approached Alec when we when we made practice first and I was looking for content. Um, I, I approached Alec and said, look, I, I'd love the habit series. I don't know if there's any way you'd be interested in licensing it to it, licensing. And he said, absolutely. Uh, and it's been a, it's been a wonderful relationship and I, and I love partnering with you guys. Um, so I would love Scott, if, uh, you know, I don't mean this in any derogatory or negative way at all, but I think a lot of music teachers think that writing a method book is easy. Um, and I think it's impossibly hard, right? I think, you know, what and and the way you just described the process, starting at the goal, what you're hoping they'll achieve by the end of year, what you know, two, three, one, you know, whatever that mm -hmm. is, yeah, um, it's extremely hard. And I think that when I when music educators go to conferences, whether it's a string teacher or a band teacher looking at method books. They often like open the first couple of pages and they're like, what note does it start on? And, oh, I'm not using it because it starts on an E. That's ridiculous. Um, it, you know what I'm saying? Like method book picking is is like one of the one of the um, most important parts, <laughs> or at least you think it is when you're when you're first starting out, because it, it's a huge part of your teaching or it can be. Um, but. When I was uh, Reet Wilder, for those of you who have never met Reet, she is an absolute treasure trove of knowledge. She's at every show. I see her all the time in your booth. And she was describing, Scott, the methodology that you were using um, to get your method book just right. And I would love, if you don't mind, you telling us about how much, how long it took to make, because now I'm talking about the successful beginning band musician method book, which is mm -hmm. your newest or, or the late uh, one of your latest releases, um, I would love for you to describe the process and the methodology into creating that book specifically. Well, first of all, everything that we do in the series is field tested. Yeah. And it goes through two rounds of field testing. So the first round of field testing is essentially what we call in-house field testing. So um, on a side note to that, we're currently writing a beginner string method book, and this is the pro the process that I'm describing with the beginner band method book is actually the exact same process that we're oh, doing. Wow. So we do in house field testing, and you know during that time we try to determine um, is the sequencing correct, is the pacing correct, and we also start from the very beginning with so like for the beginner band method book, Jeff Scott and I sat down. And we wrote out pages of things that we wanted to see included in the book. And the definitions essentially were, are there things that we want to put in the book that's different than other method books? 
Are there things that we want to do slightly differently than other method books would do it? But it all came from the question, you know, like what problem can we solve for the teacher? Yep. And so when that was all said and done, we had six pages of notes and we condensed those six pages of notes down to 26 things that we wanted to do that had never been done before, or we wanted to do it slightly differently. Right. And so, for instance, for the beginner band method book, we have teacher tips for every exercise in the book. And we have purpose statements for every exercise and why it's there. And then through that initial field testing process, we determine all kinds of information. And I won't go to, I won't give you the long version of that. Right. But then the second thing we do is we do outside field testing. And um, we usually get five to six outside field testers. We try to field test the books in different situations because everybody doesn't have the same schedule. Right. Some people have banned every day. Some people have banned as a pullout model. Some people have banned once a week and they have pullout lessons. Some people start in the fourth grade. Some people start in the fifth grade. Some, you know, in different, you know, sixth grade. And so because of that, we try to field test in various circumstances. And then we constantly get feedback, you know, from, from these teachers that are field testers. And then uh, in the third year of the field testing process is when we release the book. Um, the other thing that I think is really unique about our series are the number of people on our team that are either currently in the trenches or who were in the trenches for a long time yep. uh, teaching. So right now, uh, for instance, um, Jeff Scott, Chris Selby, Margaret Selby, Kevin Boyle, um, Eric Wilkinson, Leonard McLeod, like, you know, they taught today. They're yeah, in the classroom. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're in the classroom every day. And, and those folks, they have over 150 years of teaching experience. Wow. And, you know, they know what works in the trenches. So when you do field testing, you know, that first in-house field testing, they're using it, you know, in real time. Um, and they know in the, you know, the overriding uh, sentiment is, do the students enjoy it? Are they getting better? Are the students improving by doing, you know, what you're asking them to do, things like that. And then we have other people on our team, like, you know, Marguerite Wilder, who you mentioned, um, Mary Land's on our team. And between myself and, and Reet and Mary Land, we have over 85 years of teaching experience. <laughs> wow. So, uh, you know, so I think one of the things that helps is that combination, I guess, the, I guess I would call it the combination of wisdom and actually being, you know, people who are actually in the trenches. And so we feel like that, um, when we ask the question, you know, what problem can we solve for teachers um, that it comes from a place where a team of people have all looked at it and do what we think will allow students to um, fall in love with music and, you know, be the best version of, of a musician, of an artist that they can be. Uh, so there is so much to unpack in what you in what you just said, Scott, and I think that very few music educators would would have thought that for two years, I mean, this is after you've actually written it, for two years you're testing it to make sure, you know, tweaking, fine tuning. First of all, that that is a ton of time. It's a ton of uh, effort. It's a ton of money, um, you know, for a, for a publisher to say, let's take our time and get this right, rather than just push out something to hit the next sales cycle. 
um, is really uh, indicative of of the commitment that that both you and GIA has to music education. Um, and I, I, I applaud you guys for that. And I the the other thing is that um, when music teachers and this is something that I'm proud of, of what we do at Music First as well. When music teachers are the one, ones that for whatever reason in their teaching career decided to leave and go to the corporate world, for me, and I, I would imagine for you as well, all the only reason I left the classroom is because I felt that I had something to offer a wider audience. And even though that may sound egotistical, I knew that I was a technology expert and not the greatest band director in the world, but I thought that I could help a lot of music educators if I joined the corporate world and spent my time going around the country and, and showing them what I think is a really special part of music education. And I think when you speak, and I've heard you speak at conferences and, and, and other members of your team, but when you go into a session and you're giving up 55 minutes of your precious time at a conference and somebody stands up and they have no idea what you go through on a daily basis, I either walk out, shake my head or, you know, it, 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 <laughs> when you know that this is being crafted by somebody who understands exactly what you're going through, exactly what it feels like on a Friday at 3.15 p.m. when you're exhausted and you walk into your band room one last time to shut off the lights. And you see kids' instruments sitting there and you just get upset that they didn't bring them home to practice. You know what I'm saying? Like music teachers, yeah. we are a very special breed, in my opinion. And when you know that another music educator took their wisdom, their experience uh, and their knowledge and put it into something really with the intent of helping you and helping kids be better musicians, it's a really special combination, in my opinion. Well, I, I totally agree with you, and and you're right. And I'll tell you, uh, I had a hard time stepping out of the classroom because I loved watching the students grow up and right. fall in love with yep. music. But the reality is that it was an opportunity to exponentially affect right. more people. Um, and so you're right. It's um, when when you're when you've been in the trenches, and you know the other thing I'll tell you, like with our beginner band method book, so. I still go into classrooms uh, because I want to see how the, the beginner band method book yep. is going. So like I have a friend, Marie Evans, who she lets me, I'm going to go in in the morning. Matter of fact, uh, she lets me come in a couple of times a week. And uh, I love, and one of the things I love about it is I get the chance to work with the students, but then I get to give them back. It's like being a grandparent. Right. It's like being a grandparent. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. But um, so, yeah, all that is, um, and I love it. I mean, I absolutely love being in front of the students, but yeah, yeah I also feel blessed to be in a situation where um, there's, a, there's a, a wider net to affect more folks and, and really help music educators uh, and then exponentially help their students. Yeah. So, Scott, one thing that I wanted to kind of get to in this podcast is kind of what makes habits of a successful beginning band musician different uh, than other band methods, the ones that everyone has probably heard of or used in the past. And and you mentioned a few, but one thing that I would like to just bring up, because I just am blown away by it every time I see it, and I think about the cost, the time, the scheduling, is that every single exercise, or at least the ones I've looked at, have high quality videos of of real musicians 
playing each one of those examples. Um, and I cannot say strongly enough. And one one of the things I loved about when you when we started working together on on this project to you know to get all of that content into the music first classroom and into practice first was that you know a teacher can assign any one of your exercises to their students. The students then have 17 different videos that they can choose from. So if they're a clarinet player, they click on clarinet and there is a very talented clarinet player playing that part for them. And in the generation of students that we are that are in our classrooms right now, for better or for worse, the screen is a huge part of their their lives uh, and their and their daily. I mean, it's something like seven and a half to nine hours a day they're on a screen. Um, so I first of all, I love the videos. Absolutely love it. I love the the little tiny nuance things, uh, like with not having a metronome. You know, not there's the certain little things that that we've done um, to tweak this method, and, and you know, I'd love to get your feedback, thoughts on that, and and why you did that, and 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 other things that make it different than than the other method books. Well, first of all, um, thank you for saying that. We we thought it was really important to have a great model uh, for students, especially tone tone quality. Uh, I had a, a friend a long time ago, I was actually watching him rehearse his group, and he said a comment, and when he first said it, I really didn't understand. I was actually kind of confused. Uh, he said, you would not ask a blind child to describe a sunset. And I didn't know where he was going, up, but he immediately followed that by saying that our students don't necessarily come to us with an inherent sense of knowing what their instrument's supposed to sound like. Oh, wow. And I had a euphonium player one time who came, we, they, they were doing a master class with one of the military band euphonium players. And matter of fact, it was Don uh, Palmeyer. And uh, she came running in the door and she said, so that's what a euphonium is supposed to sound like. <laughs> and I, I just, you know, so there are all these experiences in these past experiences where, you know, we just felt really passionate that students needed a great model, great tone quality. And they needed to hear that from the very beginning. The other thing is, you know, we have those built-in lesson plans mm -hmm. uh, in, in Music First Practice First. And so the teacher tips are there too, and the accompaniment yeah. tracks are there. You know, the accompaniment tracks are really important because we wanted the students to hear the music in a harmonic context. And uh, the, the teacher tip, uh, embedded teacher tips are, you know, there are all kinds of things like I'm going to give you an ex just a couple of examples, but um, like the idea of flicking on bassoon. So we cover the idea of flicking on bassoon where, you know, the A, B flat, B, C and D at the top of the staff or the bass clef staff for bassoons. There's a technique they use called flicking and we wanted to incorporate that. So those are things that are built into the lesson plans. Um, and, you know, we cover the, the three different fingerings for F on oboe as an example. Mm -hmm. and. When to use it and when, you know, when to use certain fingerings and when to use right F, left F, forked F. And so there are just lots of things that um, we poured into this. And then we were so fortunate to be able to partner with Music First and um, to be able to create the, kind of this comprehensive lesson plan uh, for teachers to use. And it really... Um, cuts down on the amount of time that they needed. I'll tell you, I was the person, I don't know if you want to talk about technology or not, but I oh, was definitely, the person. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Time. That was my next question. I was the person, 
<laughs> okay. I was the person a long time ago. I mean, like when I was first a band director, um, I was the person who carried around a box of cassette tapes mm -hmm. and I had a Walkman. And for some people, you may not even know what a Walkman is, but it was basically a cassette player that you put uh, headphones into. Yep. And it was portable. And I literally get like, so if we were, if I had my students at an honor band weekend or something, and my students were uh, rehearsing, but I was kind of there chaperoning, I'd be the guy over in the corner with a box of cassette tapes and a Walkman and a clipboard in front of me. And I would write out, I had little half pieces of paper and I would give them feedback. I'd give the students feedback. Wow. And I would just, and, you know, after I listened to one, I'd throw it in, you know, another box and then I'd pull another cassette tape out. And it's amazing to me what, uh, you know, we've been able to do with technology and especially with, with Music First, uh, you know, the built-in grade book and everything being there and you just save so much time. And then, you know, in the lesson plans that we did for the beginner band method book, I mean, literally, if a teacher wanted to do this, they literally could go in and all they have to do is um, assign a due date for the assignment and then, you know, put it on the calendar yep. and they're good to go, basically. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I love your, you know, my very first um, full-time band directing gig, I, I, I taught elementary school band in like two different, two or three different elementary schools. I taught pre-K to eight general vocal instrumental and handbells. So my my third and final job in the public schools, I was a I was a full time band director, and the very first thing I did was I personally bought every single student a cassette tape um, to have a portfolio assessment. You know, I was talking about it at conferences that having kids record themselves on the very first day of band on the and I put all types of recordings on those cassettes. Thinking back now, how much work that was and how much technology has made it much much easier today where the kids can really self-populate their own digital portfolios um yeah exactly. and i mean what other types of technology did you use in your teaching or or was it i mean i don't know what was available to you what what you know as a band director i'll be super honest i rarely used it inside of the rehearsal um i was using it in my in the uh, group small group instruction as well as having kids um use um some software uh when they weren't with me well yeah i <clears throat> i always used you know a metronome and tuner yep. uh but then when things like uh and i you know still use these things like the tonal energy app came along oh i and, love that app. Uh, Big time. and if i go into um, a rehearsal room now that has like uh, the harmony director in it yeah i'll use it especially during fundamentals time so I, I mean, I'm a, I'm just a huge fan of technology and it streamlines so much of what we do. And I, I don't, it never replaces the collaborative process of music making and um, allowing students to um, emotionally state who they are and how they feel. But especially in terms of building that foundation and building those fundamentals, um, I love using technology and give students as much feedback. And I, the other thing is just that immediate assessment, mm. you know, that they get back immediately. And like, for, for instance, in, in practice first music, which I, I really, I love the idea that timing is, you know, if you get the squiggly bar, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> I love you know, that. as, as opposed to, if you get a little bit off, everything's wrong, you know, it's right. like, yep. that, so that, that immediately immediate feedback and then the idea of being able to scroll along uh, you know, the, the bar yep. underneath it and it'll tell it, give you immediate feedback. I mean, 
how like I don't even know that we could have imagined that 30 years ago. We, we couldn't have there. You know, to me, I, I still marvel at it. And and Scott, you just did something super important. And I, and I kind of want to put my spin on it. And that is that um, in a band program, in a choir program, in an orchestra program, rehearsal time is precious. Mm -hmm. You know, there, and I've never heard any director ever say I have more than enough rehearsal time. So to me, the, the point of technology with a performance ensemble and what I think you guys have done so perfectly well with this new uh, beginning band method book and, and, and on our platform is that the kids will hopefully come to the rehearsals with the skills already practiced. Um, and, and so therefore you spend your rehearsal time actually conducting, actually shaping, blending, you know, trying to work on balance rather than, I, you know, when I was a middle school director, I can't tell you how many times I yelled at the saxophones F sharp or, you know, <laughs> th those types of things where you're just like, no, right. and, and instead having the kids you, using technology to prepare them at home in a way for better or for worse now that they're used to, you know, having, having been uh, through the pandemic and having them, you know, work individually at home. Um, I think having the ability to give, to, to drag an assignment to a calendar, it immediately populates uh, on the student's app and they go home and they practice it. They get feedback. They, they practice it again. When they think they've got it just about right, they they submit it to you. And then when they come into that live rehearsal, that precious time, you know, uh, you can actually be a band director and not a uh, work so much, at least for me, my situation. I spent almost all of my rehearsals teaching notes um, rather than rather than making music, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And then what happens is as not only do they have fun doing it, but as their fundamentals grow, um, it actually takes less time to prepare a piece of music, yep. you know, that you're performing because all these, all this pre-work has been done and you've, you've built this foundation for success. And like I said, and we tried to make like with the beginner band method book, we tried to make it fun. Even the accompaniment tracks, we, they our, are great. Our, They're great. Our, our number one thought was, would this be fun for kids to, to play? So, um, you know, all of it together, the, the teacher, you know, utilizing the technology and utilizing appropriately. And then the idea of the book having, you know, an appropriate pacing and sequencing and some supplemental things that we, like even with those lesson plans, we've added some supplemental things into the lesson plans. So mm -hmm. all of that coming together, it just really, um, it's amazing to think uh, what we can do. Absolutely. So I got two more questions for you, Scott, and I really appreciate all the time you're taking uh, with me. The first is the advice question. And I don't think there's, uh, I don't I don't know if I've had a guest that's more properly positioned to give this advice uh, than you um, in terms of, you know, the advice that you would give to, whether it's a band director, a, a general music teacher, really any music teacher, what advice would you give them uh, if they're thinking of incorporating music? I mean, let's be really honest, everybody was using technology for about nine months from an emergency standpoint. Um, but now that they're, you know, quote unquote, back to normal and rebuilding programs and, and what advice would you give to other music teachers who are thinking of incorporating music tech into their teaching? Well, first of all, you know, absolutely use it. And, you know, I will tell you, I, I think some of the things that came out of COVID and instruction 
So like I, I had a teacher tell me, a very well-known middle school uh, director tell me that she used to always think that it was so important um, that she called it, you know, pass-offs, like going down the line, what yep. she called it. And she said she just really needed to hear every student and it was so, so important. And she realized because it had to happen this way during the pandemic that not only would it save her time, but she actually had more time to give the students appropriate feedback. Mm -hmm. And she had students that, um, in other words, the playing in front of the class was a pressure situation yep. for the kids. And what she found out that there were certain students who just thrived when they didn't have to play in front of the other students because you know there's some statistic uh, that says um, that you know like the number one fear for you know middle school or teenagers essentially uh, you know is being embarrassed in front of their peers. Yep. And that same statistic said that you know death was like number seven on the list. Oh my god. <laughs> and it, and it was, you know, but what it says is, you know, it, that sounds strange to say that, but what it says is that in their minds at that, you know, the way they function at that age, that they really don't want to be that embarrassed in front of their peers. Yep, absolutely. And um, so I think there were some things that came out. I'm going to use that as just one example. I could give several others, but that's just one example of how um, coming through that, uh, we learned to use technology in a way that really was a win-win for the students and, and for the teachers as well. And there are teachers who've said, you know, I'm not gonna ever go back to, and, you know, fill in the blank right. certain things because uh, the being, almost being forced to use the technology, they discovered, in other words, great teachers will take the technology and make it, you know, they'll be the ones yep. that hit the home run. Yep. Um, so, you know, it, it ultimately it comes down to the teacher. And um, I also think that, um, and we haven't mentioned this, but I mean, I can tell you from, from my experience and my experience teaching, just the idea of having a back-end grade book where literally, you know, you get to a certain point, you create that, you know, CSV file and you, you literally just have to hit, you know, Im export and import. Uh, when it's time to to do your grades, I mean, I mean, how how do you quantify how much time that actually saves? Yeah, um, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's why we that's why I designed it that way. Is I think that you know when you've got 110, 140 kids in front of you, and you've been asked to do individual grades for each one, and be able to justify that grade with multiple <laughs> snapshots of assessment. Ooh, you know that you can spend all day every day doing that so yeah it, it 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 i i had a scott over my desk when i was when i was uh designing and building uh the music first classroom and the grade book specifically i had a a, a piece of paper that said not enough time um and mm -hmm. it was the number one thing i heard from music teachers they that they wanted solved was that they didn't have enough time so that if this made them spend more time they weren't going to even think about it so i appreciate you saying that. yeah absolutely absolutely so before i get to the last question i'm going to do a quick a quick plug for those of you that have not seen habits of a successful beginning band musician or any of the habits books in practice first and music first classroom all you need to do is go to musicfirst.com click on free trial it will automatically give you a login go in click that software tab practice first 
and from the selector menu uh, for series, choose that, choose any one of the habit series and you'll see what an incredible resource uh, Scott and his whole team at GIA have created. So Scott, my last question for you is, is the one I ask everyone and I'm really interested to hear what you have to say. If you could wave a magic wand and have music technology or music first do something that it can't do now, what would it be? Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> um, you know, I think the use of um, artificial intelligence, you mm. know, that, so like, I'll give you an example. There's AI being used to, in conducting classes now on the university level. And they are able to analyze gestures and things like that. Uh, I think if there was a way to use AI, and I know we have the technology right. uh, to do it, but if we could use AI to troubleshoot things like posture and embouchure, um, obviously you would need a, a skilled team of educators to be mm -hmm. able to do the front, you know, the front work on that. But if there was a, a way to do that or the ability to, um, I, I guess, a more sophisticated way of assessing um, dynamics and shaping. Yep. Um, because, you know, one of the things that I think happens, students, if you ask them to go home and practice, they typically play what I call mezzo mezzo. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Which is, which is, you know, whatever their dynamic is, yep. you know, that's what they play. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I and I mean, and we've all been there too on our own instruments. You know, we, we think ourselves, you know, I've been playing for 20 minutes and I've essentially played the same dynamic the whole time. Right, right, right. Uh, right. right. And uh, so, you know, if there was a way to continue to, make that part of it more sophisticated. And I'm as, I, I say, you know, artificial intelligence, I'm assuming that would be part of the way that- Yeah, you no, absolutely, you're right, dead on. Yeah, so um, anything like that that we can do to just continuing, to continue to enhance the experience, uh, I think would be fantastic. But it's a, it's a great question. Isn't it fun to dream too, to think it about- Sure, it's, I do it all the time. And, and, and you, you know, we've talked a lot about AI at Music First and we, the idea of your method book having AI in it, where if a kid is messing up a certain note, a certain phrasing, a certain crossing the break, the the software automatically say, "Hey, we noticed that you're having a little trouble crossing the break. Try this example." Yeah, um, you know, like a self, almost not, you know, a self guided. Uh, that we're thinking about that right now, Scott. So that's that's an excellent uh, magic wand and, and an excellent dream. Oh, that's so Scott, awesome. Yeah, I, I can't thank you enough, and and I really do hope people will will go and check out that demo and and see what you've done and your whole team. My hats off to you. I wish you a very uh, happy and prosperous twenty three, and thank you so much for taking time out of your day to to speak to me and our listeners. I appreciate it. Well, Jim, thank you again for um, the kind invitation, and uh, we truly value and love the partnership that we have with you all. Um, and thank you for everything. And 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 um, thank you for locking arms with us as well. You got it. Thanks so much, Scott. Take care. All right. You too. Take care. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.